Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. Not that that helps at all when it comes to the uh, bitter cold, but it still is a very chilly one tonight. And I don't even like to think about it, but honestly, it just hits you right in the bones. There's not a whole lot you can do at this point. You just heard the uh, updated forecast there from Sean. I tell you, roads are terrible. I was looking out the window a lot today. I live on a road where there is an incline. You know, it's, it's weird. There's so many inclines in St. Louis. It's not even a bad incline. In fact, it's a very mild one. And still, you find that if you're in a car, the odds of you knowing how to drive properly on snow is I would say about 10 times less than those that are in an SUV or a truck because they seem to get through it just fine. I don't know how many times I saw someone had to turn around and say, I give up. And it was weird. The plows were out early. And then I thought, wow, this is going to be a day where the plows are going to make things just wonderful. And then I think they realized that they weren't going to be able to keep up because it just snowed and snowed and snowed. And it didn't stop and it snowed. And it wasn't even like a heavy, giant snowflake type of snow. It was just like this constant dusting over and over and over. And it's still going on. Yeah. No wonder why you saw so many different people say, stay off the roads if you could help it. Totally get that. There's this one story and everyone's talking about the different power companies that are telling you to drop the temperature in your house by a couple of degrees. Just out of curiosity, what do you keep your home at? Like right now, if I were to look at your thermostat, what is the temperature it should be at? If if you want to text it, you can. I'm just more curious than anything else. 314-436-7900. Or if you want to call in, you can also do that to 800-925-1120. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. My house, I think we keep it at about 68, and it's always cold, essentially cold. I just want to know, really, um, because when they say drop it a couple degrees, I'm not going to drop my temperature down to 66. It's way too cold. Even 68 is pretty chilly. But then again, we dress warm in the house to make up for it. We're not in the 70s by any means. You know, if we have a family over and we want to make it look like we're doing pretty good for ourselves, we put it up into the 70s when it's cold. Yeah. That makes us uh, look like we're doing pretty good for ourselves. Yeah. 
Hey, look at us. They can they can keep the thermostat in the 70s. Wow, they must be doing pretty good. It's all a sham because as soon as they leave, it goes right back down. Then again, we have an old furnace in the house. And I keep thinking to myself, oh, Betsy, you better keep going. I go over there and I give it a nice little hug. I pat it on the side, let it know, hey, uh, you're, we appreciate the work that you do inside of this household. I know day in and day out, I rely on you. And I don't always change things out the way I should and give you the attention you need. But if we can just get through this week, me and you, forever, you'll be like Thelma and Louise. Uh, what is the right temperature, honestly? I think some people shudder at the thought of having their house in the 60s and it just attuned to the 70s. And maybe they just have a high efficiency furnace or maybe there's something else that involved with it. And it scares me when I see these things rolling outages. And it's like that in Texas right now. They don't know how to keep up with this stuff. They look around and they say, well, why is everyone uh, using their electricity so much? We had AccuWeather on last night. They said the water temperature is still like 60 degrees in the Gulf. But there's snow everywhere else you look. So when you go back and they don't know how to keep up with this, sometimes the companies will just shut it off for 20, 30 minutes at a time to make up for it. And there's snow outside. You're thinking, not now. Please get this back up. You're scared. You don't know what to do. One person texted in, we keep the house at 66 degrees. I can't do that. I'm in the basement right now. I should go get a thermometer and put it down here to kind of get an idea of what it's like in my workspace. I can't quite see my breath. I wouldn't trust hanging meat. But I'm definitely in need of dressing warm with a blanket. Um, that seems to be about right. But some people find it in the 70s. But either way, I haven't uh, experienced any rolling blackouts or any power outages because of the weather today, which is good news. And I got to say, I hope it stays that way. And I hope it stays that way for you, too. I hope we get to spend the night together. and You don't have to worry about it. And yes, please uh, stay off the roads again. I don't even know what tomorrow's going to look like. But so many businesses, they called off today. School's calling off for tomorrow. They're not even going to bother with it. I know there's going to be a lot of other businesses worried about that, too. Coming up after the break, our friend Rich Rubino. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks and considering it's President's Day. Oh, we're going to talk a lot about presidents coming up in the next few segments. One of our favorite guests that we have time to uh, that we uh, take time out every Monday to talk to. And he takes time out with us. Very appreciative of Rich Rubino right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. You can find him on uh, polita-geek.com, author of American Politics on the Rocks. Richard Bino, how are you on this cold Monday? Uh, I'm doing okay, but uh, happy President's Day, though. Happy President's Day. So what's your routine like on President's Day? Do you go all out? Oh, absolutely. I usually go out and I actually do a little bit of President's Day caroling. <laughs> I, I go, I go to the neighbors and I sing songs. Like usually, um, I sing. I, yes, I go. It's my favorite holiday of the year. I have. Um, actually, I wrote one up. I wrote one up yesterday. It's uh, Christmas is coming. William Howard Taft is getting fat. Please to put a penny in Abraham Lincoln's hat. If you know Penny, a Rutherford B Hayes penny will do. If you've no Rutherford B. Hayes Penny, then Andrew Jackson will do Then, like Andrew Jackson, I'll duel you. <laughs> nice. All right. And then your neighbors, how do they react to that? It's usually really awkward. I usually try not to do it with my neighbors. I usually go to kind of random neighborhoods. And um, I say, well, if you can do it around Christmas time, why isn't it then kosher to do it um, during other holidays as well? 
Usually I'll dress yeah. up like sometimes I'll put on the mutton top whiskers like Chester A. Arthur, and I'll sing that and I'll and I'll do the uh, President's Day caroling. It's a little bit uh, unique, but um, but I just I think hopefully it'll get back in the groove a little bit. Yeah. Well, I guess in honor of President's Day, since we're treating the President's Day holiday and having a little fun with it, let's say uh, it corresponded with Halloween. Uh, what would be like the best presidents to dress up as for Halloween? Oh, Chester A. Arthur. Um, (laughs) if you look at the mutton tops he has, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I always like kind of that look and you look others, like if you look at Levy Morton, who is Benjamin Harrison's vice president, they have these really huge mutton tops and it's just kind of a rare, it's just kind of, you look at it, it's kind of rarefied almost. You look, oh my God, like how can somebody, you know, grow something like that? It's so unique and it's something that's kind of sui generis would be today. It's not something you necessarily see today, but it's something that's very unique. So that would definitely be one, um, I think Lyndon Johnson, just because his nose was just so kind of awkward looking, would be somebody that would be kind of an interesting person, especially not so much the younger Lyndon Johnson, but the Lyndon Johnson of 71, 72, and 73. If you look at pictures of him before he died, he grew about 70 pounds. He grew, he, he got about 70 pounds heavier. Um, he grew his hair really long like a hippie, and he just didn't look like um, the Lyndon Johnson of certainly the 1960s, but that was kind of the hippie Lyndon Johnson. That would definitely be a. Uh, be somebody that would be very interesting to dress up as. You know, I have a trivia question for you oh. uh, about a president, and I'll see if you can guess it because this is a pretty obscure trivia question. Okay. Only one U.S. president was an Eagle Scout. Can you guess which one? Gerald Ford. Yeah, how'd you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. what you answered it so quick, you didn't even hesitate to think. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know that he was, and I know also Vice President Hubert Humphrey was one as well. Oh, how about that? I have a book here uh, about different presidential facts and things, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll be able to sneak one past <laughs> Mr. Bino. Not going to happen, apparently. So on this President's Not Day, on that one. Um, maybe we, we could talk the history of President's Day. Why do we have a day set aside for presidents? It was originally meant to be a, pre- a holiday, essentially, for Washington and Lincoln. Then eventually they kind of changed it, and they had it for all presidents. There are still some that think that it should be just for George Washington or Washington's birthday or just for Abraham Lincoln. But, you know, certainly there are a lot of partisans out there, Franklin Pierce. And certainly there was a huge Franklin Pierce lobby that wanted his name included, too. So um, that's basically that's ba- that's basically why. But, it's you know, it's one of those holidays that – very few people actually, I think, celebrate like a Christmas or even an Easter or a Halloween. It's um, more or less become almost kind of a pro forma day when people say, oh, we have a holiday. Very few people actually, you know, go back and look at their presidential figurines. How many uh, presidential figurines do you have? Uh, um, I have a collection. and I think it went from Washington to Johnson. And I think that it must have uh, stopped at Johnson when I got the collection. I think I had it when I was about five or six years old, and it wow. kind of hooked me on the idea of presidents, but they've obviously continued it uh, since then. But I remember there were a few that I didn't have. I think, um, I, or I think I had a couple of duplicates, and then I would have a few that I did not have in that collection. So instead of, like, G.I. Joe's, you had presidential <laughs> figurines, stuff like that? Yes, I did. I did. I, I remember, you know, lining them up and— um, Having them um, right here on the, having them right on the mantle, and I had them all kind of lined up, and you'd have from Washington. But the problem is, eventually, you'd put them back because it actually kind of got annoying because you'd have to dust them and all that. So um, it yeah. kind of just got, it just got kind of, um, it just got kind of, kind of annoying. So I kind of just put them away, and um, now I have them in my, uh, in my mind's eye, I guess. Here's another trivia question for you, oh. if you're ready for it. Uh, I what am. does the S in Harry S. Truman stand for? 
Actually, it's because of he had, so he had two grandfathers. He didn't really have, Solomon Young, I think, was one of them. He didn't actually have, um, the S, actually it stands for nothing. But it's yes. really kind of, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a amalgamation of his two grandfathers. And then the period after it um, is, doesn't really stand for anything either, but the Harry Truman Library says that there should be a period after the S. That's right. That's the debate we had last week. I think you brought that up. It's a very contentious issue, yes. I know. A lot of people are truly <laughs> worried about it. In fact, there's. I think they're still battling, uh, in, you know, there may even be protests to this day for <laughs> the different organizations that decide to use it improperly in the way that they find unfit for the presidential uh, library. So, yes, um, yes. All of these things, uh, the conception of the President's Day, who was the first president in office when it became, like, when President's Day was signed? I think it was Benjamin Harrison. Okay, so that goes back some. Yeah. And then what yeah, did Harrison was do on President's Day? What's that? What, hap- what does a president do on President's Day? Is it, is it like an extra birthday for them? Do they get like two days <laughs> to them? Yes, absolutely. They, uh, they, you know, they, uh, they take, they take the, they usually they take the day off um, and they go out um, and they go out and they get hammered. <laughs> well, except get hammered. <laughs> yes, except- usually that's the uh, that's the stereotype. With some that's exceptions, the- like Donald Trump and George W. Bush, because they didn't drink, and oh, Rutherford George B. Hayes, who didn't drink. I didn't realize that George W. Bush didn't drink. Well, he did so. when he was younger. He was in, he had alcohol problems, and eventually in 1985, he kind of gave up um, cold turkey, and after that, he ne- he supposedly uh, never drank again. Wow. Well, good for him. Uh, you know, I'm looking at some uh, old photos of Grover Cleveland. Yes. And he goes back some. Right before the turn of the century, I guess he had a nice he mustache. Was, yeah, he was uh, eighteen. He was eighteen eighty five to eighteen eighty nine. Then he lost reelection in eighteen eighty eight. Came back in eighteen ninety two, and then served another term. So he was the only person who actually served two non consecutive terms. And in between him uh, was Benjamin Harrison. Why don't our presidents have facial hair anymore? Like you don't get to see that much. Back in the day, they always had yes. great facial hair. Today, not so much. They got to be clean shaven. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Harrison was the last president who actually had a beard while in office. Although, if you do look at pictures of Bill Clinton in about the ninth, in about nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy, when he was in Oxford, he did have a really, really long beard for a while. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, you know on President's Day some other odd facts about presidents. What are some of the things that just don't sound real but are actually true about former presidents? Uh, well, I guess, I guess one of them would be the town of actually North Bend, Ohio, which is a small village right outside Cleveland. There's less than a thousand people, and it's actually not only the it was the birthplace of Benjamin Harrison, but it was also the birthplace of Eliza Henderson Hendricks, the 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 wife of Vice Pre, uh, Vice President Tommy Hendricks. So this very small town was home to both of them. And of course, she was she was married to Hendricks, and Hendricks was um, Grover Cleveland's vice president. But he died um, during the first year in office. So that's something that I think is kind of interesting. Another thing is that a lot of people don't realize, but under the so under but prior to the Constitution, there was another Constitution, and it was titled the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union. And under that Constitution, there was actually an office called President of the Congress Assembled, and that position John Hansen was the first president. And he was the person who approved the first presidential seal, for example. Um, and he and it was it was kind of it didn't have a lot of power because of the time. More or less, the Constitution gave more power to the states. For example, 
Um, the federal government had very little power. For example, all 13 states would have to agree um, if they were going to raise taxes, for example. But they did have a position, and it was a one-year term. It was usually a member of the Congress, and John Hanson Jr. Uh, was one of those presidents. So that's something that's interesting. Wow. Um, another thing I think is interesting, if you look at some of uh, – in terms of the Kennedy family, and if you look at the way some of the dirty tricks that they were able to play, Nixon is, of course, known for Watergate, and he's certainly rightfully so known for kind of becoming a champion of the dirty tricks, but he got caught. But in many respects, I think part of the reason that he did so many dirty tricks is he was, it was used against him many times. Um, and part of that, well, John F. Kennedy, when he first ran for Congress in Massachusetts in 1946, one of his opponent's names was Joe Russo. So what they did... There was a custodian in the, in the district, and they got him and they paid him to allow them to get the signatures at the very last minute to put his name on the ballot. So as a result, people went to the, people went to the polls on Election Day. There was John F. Kennedy. There were other candidates, and there were two different Joe Russos. So the Joe Russos ended up splitting the vote. Oh, wow. Weird. But what happened with Nixon? So Nixon, the first time he ran for – he was running for Senate against um, Helen Gahaga Douglas – a couple of things happened. This was really the height of dirty tricks. Nixon it was one of the dirtiest campaigns ever. He called her the Red Lady, said he was, she was red right down to her underwear, so tried to make her out to be a communist. But there was a fellow named Dick Tuck, and Dick Tuck was one of the master dirty tricksters. He landed up working for Kennedy later on in life. And what he did when he worked for Douglas is he pretended that he was working for Nixon, so he was kind of a spy. And he got him to speak at his university, and he reserves a room for 2,000 people. And then he never advertises the event. So he says he's working for Nixon. He says, well, can you come to speak for us? And they said, oh, sure. So they're thinking they're going to have 2,000 people there. He never advertises the event. Comes in there. There are 36 people, 36 people in the audience. Then Tuck gets up there and gives this, like, five-minute introduction and then says, and let me say this. Uh, Congressman Nixon, Congressman who's running for Senate, is going to become speaking – is going to be speaking today strictly on international monetary policy. <laughs> <laughs> I got a, a trivia question for you. Yes. Okay. So I, I'm just going through, and again, I don't know how uh, accurate this is, but you might be able to under, get this one just based on context. So which president met his future wife by speaking at uh, speaking in front of Yale Law students talking about having the largest watermelons in the world? Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, exactly. <laughs> he gave his <laughs> agricultural speech to uh, Yale Law students talking about having the largest watermelons, and somehow that worked with Hillary. I don't know how that really works as a pickup line per se. I don't know if that would still. That was um, that was actually in the. So if you ever see the man, so the man from Hope, <laughs> um, back in 1992 when they were trying to present him to the crowd in New York at the convention, they had um, Clinton talking about growing up in Hope, Arkansas, and they go Hope, and then later really Hot Springs, and they went back and forth between Bill and Hillary. And they had Hillary talking, and she said, um, "She said, yeah." And she said, "The first thing I remember um, Bill Clinton saying." And then she said, and then she gave that whole uh, wa that whole watermelon speech, because Hope, Hope Arkansas, the one thing they're known they're known for a few things. They're the home, they're the birthplace of Bill Clinton, although he really grew up in Hot Springs. Also, the birthplace of Mike Huckabee. So you had two people who were governors, and who so were two of the long, two of the three longest serving governors of Arkansas. The other being Orville Faubus. Both being from Hope, both being born in Hope, Arkansas, and then while Bill Clinton was president, Mike Huckabee was governor of Arkansas. So we had a scenario where you had a governor and a president, both from Hope, Arkansas, and but they're also, of course, known. The other thing they're known for is their watermelons. You know, I talking more about presidents. Who put in the bowling alley in the White House? 
Uh, well, Truman was actually very good at bowling, and Truman was a was a, Truman was a bowler, but it was kind of restructured, I guess, by Nixon. So originally there was a bowling alley with Truman, but then redone when Nixon was in office. That was my understanding. I think it used yeah. to be under the press room, but Nixon was really the person who really kind of utilized it. That was kind of his favorite sport in many respects. But Truman, had, I think Truman had one put in originally because it was something that he wanted his aides to be able to enjoy bowling. That would be cool. Would you rather be invited to a meal at the White House or for uh, a game of bowling? Uh, probably a game of bowling, just because I, I think it would just be so interesting. It would just be kind of awkward to see all the other people saying, you know, am I supposed to bowl or am I supposed to talk? Yeah, I would, I think, would make for a better story, honestly. <laughs> well, it, it is kind of a good story. You win a college championship and go get a Big Mac with uh, Donald Trump. Now, that's a cool story. But then again, if, let's say, Joe Biden invites you and says, hey, let's go bowling in the basement of the White House, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. I got to say, those two things would be just surreal and make for great stories that no one would believe. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about how a president spends their day, because there was a report from CNN that talked about Joe Biden's routine since he's taken yep. office. And in general, I just want to know how some presidents would normally spend their day. Do you mind holding on after the break? Sure. sure. Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. You can find his book online, polita-geek.com, and on social media, search for Rich Rubino. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Oh, on this President's Day, we talk to someone that knows more about the president's than probably the president's family. Rich Rubino, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Yes, uh, polita-geek.com. And if people wanted to find you on social media, where can they look? Yep, you just go to Facebook and type in Rich, last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, or on Twitter at Rich Rubino, P-O-L. So I was going through some of the coins that we have in circulation or just in general coins that we've made before in the U.S. We have the Lincoln Penny, the Washington Quarter, We have the Jefferson Nickel. Mm -hmm. JFK is on the half dollar, which I guess is still in circulation. I didn't realize they still made those. Um, You have Eisenhower on the dollar, but that has changed over the years, too. But there's still some that you can find. FDR on the dime. Um, Who do you think the next president would be if they put one on a coin? Uh, If they put one on a coin. um... Or do you think that'll never happen again? You think they're done with presidents and they're going to go with, you know, figures in American history? Yeah, I think they're probably going to next go with secretaries of agriculture. (laughs) (laughs) Deep roster to go with there as they start to uh, change change it up again. And then lieutenant governors. (laughs) It just goes right down the line. Um, Okay. Robert will be on one, maybe. You know, I wondered, I thought, okay, are they just done with presidents? I mean, have they just solidified that? You know, we went to the Sacagawea, now it's going to be. Um, on the dollar, not, not the dollar, but on, uh, they're taking the Hamilton 10, is it? And they're going to put um, Harriet Tubman. Yes. Okay. So when they start to move these things over, I thought, okay, is it a, long gone now that presidents are going to be on these things? Um, I guess so. But I wanted to talk about the routine of a president and what they do on a day-to-day basis because CNN had an article. And it was talking about how Joe Biden spends his day. Apparently, he wakes up coffee in the morning and he starts work at 9 a.m. And then he's back in bed by 7 p.m. Essentially is what they're saying. So he retires by 7. So he gets, a, you know, a 10 hour workday in, not considering lunch and breaks or whatever. So I heard that and I thought, oh, that seems a little weird, you know, going in a little bit early at uh, 7 o'clock at night. But I'm curious, what, what does that mean? What, uh, what's a, an average day of president of the United States? 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly different because it depends in many respects on the style of the presidency. Some of them, Donald Trump being one of them, like to kind of be out there and campaign a lot. And certainly during an election year, I mean, a lot of the time the president's spending is going to be out campaigning. And they also spend a lot of time out fundraising, uh, not so much in not so much in the uh, in kind of the odd years, but certainly once you get to 2022 and 2024, you're going to be spending a lot of time in the hustings. You always kind of wonder, you know, if the president is such a busy job, how can they spend so much time actually campaigning and going around the country speaking? Or for that matter, now that we have Zoom, why can't they, you know, give the give the address from the White House? Why do they have to actually go to, you know, Mississippi and speak to a certain group of people? I think it's kind of old fashioned in many respects, but. It all depends. I mean, there's some things that the presidents always get. For example, they get it. They'll get intelligence briefings. Um, usually, um, you, you, usually they'll usually they'll have they'll have meetings sometimes with meetings with their chief of staff. They don't usually have cabinet meetings. I think that there's kind of a common misapprehension that a president has cabinet meetings every day. It actually happens very infrequently. Um, it happens usually when the president actually calls them. It's sometimes, you know, George W. Bush used to get there about 6.45 in the morning, and he would try to be out of there by 5, and then he'd be into bed very early. Uh, others, like Lyndon Johnson and Woodrow Wilson, James K. Polk, Bill Clinton, would work 16-hour days. Uh, in, the case of, in the case of Lyndon Johnson and Bill Clinton, it's interesting because they were kind of had almost kind of almost hypomanic-type personalities, and they would, in many respects, insomniacs, too. Maybe they'd take a nap during the day. And they'd be laying up calling a senator or a Cong- U.S. representative at, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. And they wouldn't, the c- congressman wouldn't know who it was. And they'd say, oh, my gosh, you know, the president's talking. And then they'll want to speak and almost be ther- therapeutic or cathartic for them just to speak for a long period of time. I think James K. Polk was probably the hardest worker in terms of just 16, 17-hour days. I think Jimmy Carter um, worked very hard, but I, and he, he would also spend very long days in the office. But his problem was he became a micromanager to the point, to the extreme, that he was literally had aides have to come into the Oval Office to sign up for when they were going to use the White House tennis court because he just wanted to manage absolutely everything versus uh, delegation. I think that's kind of always been kind of, you know, it's like any sort of an organization. You have the president who's very, or for that matter, any sort of a business. You have an owner or a president who's very hands-on, who's kind of, you know, very micromanages everything, and then you have those that just kind of delegate to other people and then kind of deal with um then kind of de- deal with, you know, their own kind of executive um, dealings with other, you know, calling people and talking to others from their offices. But I think that Jimmy Carter was the type that like to micromanage. Lyndon Johnson was the type that micromanage. Bill Clinton liked to micromanage. I think Ronald Reagan probably was more or less somebody who would rather have delegated to others. I think Eisenhower was somebody that a lot of people thought had delegated. But then we now learn in history it's called the hidden hand presidency. He actually did have a lot um, to do with the with the goings on of his administration, he just had kind of a um, he was so even keeled to the point that a lot of people I think thought that he wasn't doing anything that he was just kind of you know golfing uh, golfing and then you know going to a couple of meetings and did golf a lot, but he actually did have a lot more to do with the um, to do with the goings on of his administration than kind of the vox populi assumed. Mm. So I know that some of the presidents like to take time off and yep. they'll use that time to go to like Camp David. Um, and I was looking at that. I don't exactly know how often presidents use Camp David. Is that exclusive for presidents or could like per se the vice president sneak off there if they wanted to? I've never heard of a vice president going there. Usually it's a president. It used to be known as Shangri-La. Um, it was actually Dwight Eisenhower named it after his son, David Eisenhower. That's why it became um, Camp David. 
But I think in terms of historic, uh, Jimmy Carter was probably the one that probably used it probably used it the most in terms of in terms of productivity. In one respect, he got up there and then he came back and he announced that he was changing his staff. And then, of course, there were the Camp David Accords between these between Menachem Begin in Israel in Egypt and Anwar Sadat in Egypt, when he spent about 13 days, you know, trying to go, trying to get them to negotiate a peace, and they kind of came out after the Camp David Accord, and they had actually negotiated a peace, and people were astounded at that. Bill Clinton tried that um, between um, between um, Behoud Barak and Yasser Arafat, but was not able between the Palestinians and Israelis in his last year in office, but was not able to get that done. But it is certainly a place that a pre- that presidents do go um, to relax, but some of them certainly don't use them. Donald Trump certainly did not use it, as some other presidents have used it. Yes, yeah, so I did a quick search to count of visits by each president. Donald Trump went there 15 times. Uh, president Obama, 39 times. George W. Bush, 150 times. Wow. And go back to Ronald Reagan. He had 189 times. Uh, Nixon, 160 times. It seems the lowest number is Truman with 10. Uh, Kennedy had 19. But then again, uh, the length of his uh, presidency, 29 for Ford. Johnson, 30. Uh, George H.W. Bush, 124. That would be a cool place to go to. What do you think the U.S. government could do? We're, we need money right now. Maybe we could rent it out like a, you know, a Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> that would, you know, that would be a very interesting um, prospect if they could do that during the week when the president is not there. Yeah, do it as an Airbnb, and I mean, you can imagine what some, you know, CEO of Tyson Foods or something like that would spend to stay there for a week. That's what I don't get. If so, if in four years. President Trump was there 15 times. Do they have a full staff just cleaning this thing? <laughs> and they're just alone on the premises of this 24/7 with nothing going on. Well, I guess it's like in, you know, it's like, you know, some of the some of the caretakers on islands, I guess. You know, there would be one or two people that would just be that would just be out there by themselves um, or perhaps a couple or something that being a caretaker of an island because people aren't living there in the winter in, um, in places that are in cold climates, and they come back in the summer, and then you have, you know, a couple hundred people living on there, like the Elizabethan Islands off of uh, Cape Cod, for example. Man, I would love to visit some of these places. That'd be kind of a cool invite. So that's uh, where we're at right now, uh, looking at all these different presidential things on President's Day. We've had uh, quite a lot of stories to go through, and it's always funny when you try to compile them. It's amazing the amount of trivia that you've been able to learn about some of these presidents in a book that you're still working on and get putting the finishing touches on. I'm excited to uh, learn more when that's getting ready for completion. Oh, yes, absolutely. And the uh, the Ford one will definitely be in there, and the uh, I guess both of the questions, the Hillary one and um, the other one as well. So you already knew these things. That's the problem. I can't trick you with anything. I, you know all the presidential <laughs> trivia, every single one. Um, I I wonder uh, what's going to happen this year. It's just weird with COVID and trying to meet remotely and trying to push everything you know to the to the side. It's kind of changed the way the presidency looks like because you know you see a lot of the teleconferencing. I read during that CNN article how there were no cameras put in because Trump preferred to meet face-to-face, but Biden prefers to meet in front of a camera, makes it a little bit different that way. It seems like that's even changing, like how we work from home, now the presidency, it seems like that's also, uh, they've adapted to it in that fashion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, I think it's kind of antediluvian or antiquated that you have to have a president actually, you know, travel with Air Force One and go to, you know, a place like California, make a speech, and then come back. 
By the way, a lot of people might wonder who actually pays for the travel. If it's an official visit, if they're going to give a speech or if they're going to, you know, um, a funeral or anything like that, then the federal government pays for it. If it's a campaign visit, if it's a fundraiser, then the Democratic National Committee or the Republican National Committee pay for it. If it's both, which happens sometimes, then it's essentially split between the two. But presidents obviously, um, presidents obviously can manipulate that. You know, they might decide they're going to make a, they, you know, they might decide they're going to make an appearance in Florida, which just happens to be a swing state, to announce that they're bringing um, that they're bringing a certain amount of a certain amount of money um, to that state, for example. So they'll say, well, I'm going to go over to Florida. So it's an official visit. Uh, there was one point when Gerald Ford, he was what he did was called the Rose Garden strategy. So he essentially, his advisor told him that you that you're, you're that the American people like you better as a president than as a campaigner. So he decided he wasn't going to spend so much time campaigning, but he was going to you know make addresses in the Rose Garden. And sometimes he'd go around the country and make addresses, and sometimes that would be just happened to be addresses right around in states that he was running in the Republican primary. He was running for a full term against Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan at one time it was in Florida after Ford had gone there and had announced um, that he was going to be bringing some funding to the state. And he said, you know, I don't know what to, I don't know what they should play the next time President Ford comes here. Should it be hail to the chief or Santa Claus comes to town? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's some more presidential trivia. Oh, See, yeah. I may be able to get you on this one. I don't know. Oh, yes. Who annexed Hawaii? Uh, Benjamin Harrison. William McKinley. Oh, OK. OK. So. Uh, apparently uh, he annexed Hawaii, but I have another McKinley thing for you. You're right, 1898, yeah. Yeah, so uh, McKinley uh, was shot in Buffalo, New York on September 6, 1901, and then his vice president at the time, Teddy Roosevelt, where was he when McKinley died? He was in New York State. Yeah, they said he was camping in the Andorondacks. Why would, uh, you know, if, if the president was in dire care and, you know, something could happen, why would they let the vice president go camping? Like, why wouldn't the vice president be close by? <laughs> it's, yeah, that's an, that is interesting. I, I knew that he I, I thought he was out hunting, but you're right. I think he might have been camping. Oh. No, um, the, the it, they I guess it, I guess it's interesting. Sometimes you'll see the president and the vice president at the same place, which is really interesting. I know that um, Calvin Coolidge was actually when when Warren G. Harding died. He was away too, and Cora Harding was out. Was out. He was delivering speeches, and then he ended up dying. His last words after his Florence was reading him the newspaper was, "Can you read that again?" And um, Cleveland was actually in Plymouth Notch, Vermont, which is where they had a family home. When he found out, and his father, who was, um, ended up being the one who actually swore him in um, as a full term. Of course, he was actually it was kind of ceremonial because you actually are our president essentially. Um, in the case of Johnson and Kennedy. They were obviously both in Texas because they're trying to reconcile uh, the kind of relate the kind of two bloodlines in Texas between the liberal Ralph Yarbrough bloodline and the more conservative John Conley bloodline. So that's why both of them. It was in Lyndon Johnson's home state of Texas that Kennedy had barely won last time. That's why they were um, both in that state at the same time. Uh, Truman, I know, was with um, was with Sam Rayburn and a group of he was vice president at the time, a group of congressmen. Um, they call themselves a board of education, and they were they would um, essentially play cards and drink whiskey. And he was with them when they found out that he had um, when he found out that he had passed. And um, so that's what. The, and in the case of uh, James Garfield, you know, he just stayed in. You know, he was still alive for months and months. So people didn't know exactly what was going to happen. So um, Chester Arthur, in many respects, was um, kind of president and waiting, uh, if you will, when that when that happened. I think John Tyler 
was actually playing marbles uh, when he found out that William Henry Harrison had died, believe it or not, just a month into his term. Playing marbles, so he was uh, eight when he was sworn into office. (laughs) Good one. (laughs) You can play that. Okay, one last last impossible presidential trivia question, and and there's no way you'll know this one, so I'll, I'll just preface it that way. Which president began the tradition of the White House Easter egg roll? Rutherford B. Hayes. How do you know that? <laughs> See, again, I don't know if all of these trivia from this book I, I just happen to have in my library over here are actually accurate or not, but you seem to confirm them, so there must have been some research put into it. Oh, by the way, if people wanted to look up your work online, where can they find you? <laughs> yep, you can go to www.polita-geek.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Rich, last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, or on Twitter, Rich, R-U-B-I-N-O, P-O-L. Perfect. And it's always a fun time. Happy President's Day to you, and please don't get frostbite when you go out caroling again. Oh, I already did it today, but um, as I say, you know, especially during this um, COVID time, people find it very awkward when you start singing to them about Millard Fillmore. So. <laughs> Richard Pino, thank you again for coming on. We'll have a good thank week. Thank you. Uh, he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. The guy knows so much. It's amazing. This is Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com on KMOX. Yeah, they say the wind chills in St. Louis about 13 below, Bowling Green 19 below zero, Jefferson City 16 below zero, Columbia 19 below zero, man. Oh, geez, look at all of these. Salem, Illinois 9 below zero, Springfield 16 below zero. Temperatures are pretty bad. The National Weather Service just put this out. A wind chill advisory until 11 a.m. on Tuesday morning. So for the winter storm warning, uh, snow. That's what you'll find, more and more snow. But now you add that wind chill advisory in on top of that. But they do say at least the good news is that warmer weather is on tap for later this week. Uh, I guess if warmer weather, you mean in the 20s. And I heard that by next week, we could even get back up to, what, the 40s, which is going to feel like, summertime won't it you're going to be out there dancing and having a good time in the streets wearing shorts the windows will be down in your car and who knows maybe our sister station y98 will be playing gloria on a loop just to celebrate the blues and to celebrate the uh warm weather that (laughs) is on our way all right you know who's going to join us right after the break we'll take a look at your local news we'll take a look at your weather and then brad young from harris style fisher and young he's a partner there two different lawsuits making the news we're going to have a conversation with uh, uh, the Gorilla Glue lady, the one that put it on her hair. And in Canada, apparently, you can sue a firearm manufacturer if it's used in the improper way. Kind of interesting. I'll talk to him about those two things next on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.